The KCBS and Beer Society brings the Midwest Building Science Symposium to residential home construction professionals. Come to discuss challenges, hear solutions from today's leading experts, and network with building professionals from across the region. This education event takes place on September 28th and 29th at Boulevard Brewing in Kansas City, Missouri. Key industry thought leaders such as Mike Gurton, Randy Travis, and the Unbuild It team will present on best building practices, high-performance building standards, and integrating high-performance components into durable, energy-efficient building enclosures. To sign up and learn more, visit www.midwestbss.com. Welcome, everybody, to the Unbuild It podcast. We're here broadcasting live from the Unbuild It studio. I'm your host, Peter Yost, and my good friend, Jake Bruton. And, uh, Sorry, Steve. welcome. I'm waving. People might be listening to this in <laughs> podcast format instead of on YouTube. So I waved if you're just listening. <laughs> it was a little nice little wave. But we're um it's just Jake and me because um Steve is on a, a Jake and Peter imposed sabbatical. I think yeah. that's the best way to say it. Um it and today's the politest way to say it. <laughs> today's episode is called Homes in Which Jake Has Lived. Which and, sounds uh, super pretentious, <laughs> just so we're clear. <laughs> and it, it, there's got to be something really compelling about all the different places you have lived. So let's just get to it. Let's start with the first place that Jake lived. After the hospital. After the hospital. Okay. <laughs> so uh, if you don't know, I am a second generation builder. And so my father was interested in high performance building. He was interested in doing things, quote, the right way. Uh, and so we had a, we had a variety of homes growing up that all had their own you know sort of intricacies or interesting nature. And let's just be clear: none of these were parsonages. Yeah, correct. Okay, no, no part is parsonage because that would be past. homes in which Peter has lived. Yeah. Okay. So the first house <laughs> that I uh, lived in from you know birth to five years old, kindergarten, uh, or maybe a little longer than that, actually. Was a split level. Mm-hmm. Uh, I on your neck of the woods, I think they call it a raised ranch. Yeah, I think both are still level, disgusting yeah. terms for houses because <laughs> the house that it describes is disgusting, as, as opposed to the depressed ranch. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but the interesting thing was, uh, my dad worked at a lumberyard when he did it, and it was the first house that he had built for himself, and uh, he didn't know how to pour concrete. And he didn't want to pay someone to pour concrete. So he built a all-weather wood foundation. Oh, because it was wood. Yeah. And he could do that. Compacting stone, all that kind of thing. So if, you, if you're not familiar, and maybe we should do a whole podcast on all-weather wood foundations, because it's pretty interesting. It that is. It is. There is a prescribed method that's code-approved to build a wood foundation house. Uh, the way that he did it, and I, the reason I use the term all-weather wood foundation, because there was like a certified body that had named it that at that point. They don't call it that anymore. I think it's a, a permanent wood foundation is what it's called by the code now. Interesting. Uh, it's compacted aggregate, so one inch clean stone, 12 inches thick and compacted and 24 inches wide. So and that's, that's the footer. That's the footing and Footer. everything underneath the the slab. So he did pour an interior slab after framing the outside, but but flat works flat quite works different easier. than pouring yep. walls. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then uh, a two by twelve pressure treated, 0.6 rated 
So it's ground contact and then just regular frame walls on top of that. And it had 0.6 rated plywood, three quarter plywood on the outside. Yep. Tar. And while the tar was still wet, six mil poly that was pushed into it. Oh, I did. And then tarred over the seams. And then backfilled almost entirely with gravel. So isn't there a chemical interaction between the poly and the asphalt? Probably, but nobody at that point even, you know. <laughs> Probably, but it might not have been a bad thing, these, right? These crazy guys that are putting wood foundations in the ground. Uh, so the, the the really interesting thing that I think is like I lived in multiple houses that my parents built and then houses since then that were built by other people. That basement was the only dry basement I've ever lived in. And it's oh, because is... he was that much more concerned about moisture at the time that he backfilled two feet wide all the way within like a foot of grade with gravel with that, stone that is so fascinating so because he was building with wood he was actually more conscious of moisture below grade than yeah. if you'd been using concrete yep uh and maybe it's because it was his first endeavor into putting a basement in the ground you know uh but he built the house in 78 i think and uh there was no inspection in the county at the time. There was no recourse. It was show up and build a house, which there are some counties that join us still that are the same way. But one of the interesting things is it took them five years to sell it. Nobody wanted to buy it. Because of the base because foundation. Because it had a wood foundation in it. And people didn't think it was going to work. Now, I drove past it in the last six months. It's still there. It appears to be very well maintained still. It's pretty. It had a fresh coat of paint on it, some new landscaping, like... It's still there. Now, it was a walkout. It wasn't a pit. Oh. And it was a raised ranch, so there was only five or six feet worth of foundation in the ground. Oh, I see. And yeah. because it was a walkout, the drain tile all went to daylight as well. So it was a perfect opportunity for success for an all-weather wood foundation at the time. Like, it's partially in the ground. It's got a walkout. It's free on one side. He did that foot of stone under the whole thing. So anything that got around the perimeter could just drain underneath as well because... You know, in a, in a traditional foundation like we put in, there's a footing there that is like a barrier between the two because we don't put stone under the footing. So it's pretty interesting. And, you know, I was thinking through the details as you were talking, and I guess what you could do is pour the slab as the base for your concrete, for your uh, two by 12 first plate, right? But that's not the way they do it. They Mm-mm. that that the flat work comes in afterwards. Yep, after yeah. the fact. And so he they put a uh, two by six around the entire interior and then poured up to that two by six. And then they oh. rocked and then we had base trim with big fat base shoe on the inside. So it was a trim. finished basement. Yeah, partially finished. Actually, it was half garage, half finished, and it was always uncomfortable in the basement there because the garage wall didn't have any insulation and then it was just a dirty aluminum door between the outside and the inside. And so did the did the foundation wall have insulation? In the perimeter, yeah. In the perimeter, um, regardless of whether it was an above-grade portion of it or not. Mm-hmm. Fiberglass bat in there. Yep. And gypsum wallboard on the interior? Yep. Wow. You know, um, the Forest Products Lab in Madison, Wisconsin built their own research house with an all-weather wood foundation. And there's a report that you can download about, you know, how it went, how mm-hmm. they detailed it, but also they did moisture measurements over a longer period of time. Yep. And, and I, I think, 
and it may not have been that one, but I think Force Products also had to relocate that house. Hmm, could be. moved it and put the same wood back in. They didn't put a new wood foundation on it. Oh, they just reused it. They literally it. took it apart and then reinstalled it. I hadn't heard uh, that. And, it, and maybe it's not Force Products. Maybe it's the people that helped with the all-weather wood foundation to begin with. But, like, the first one that they that anybody had done in the United States was relocated, and they didn't have to replace anything even after they moved it. So, in terms of advantages, first of all, carpenters like wood. Yeah. And um, it's code approved. Yeah. Um, you don't have to worry about how cold it is when you're building out a pressure treated instead of casting concrete. Yep. Tar is your only limiting factor there. Yeah. Yeah. Or whatever you're going to rub on there. And we kill the worst part of the house for carbon. Right. Carbon impact concrete is one of the absolute worst things that you can use. Uh, You know, it is a global warming potential number that's through the roof. Right. And the more concrete that we can eliminate, just like Steve and I did the slabless slab house where we did have a concrete wall, but then no concrete slab. Anytime you can eliminate the concrete, it's not a bad idea. So I think we agreed that we weren't going to talk about houses in which I've lived. But (laughs) the first house I lived in working for the NHB Research Center was a research home that had an all-weather wood foundation. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, you played that one close to the chest so you could bring it up while we were... Actually, I hadn't really thought about it until um, <laughs> just now. But, um, yeah, I mean, it worked just fine. And as far as I know, that house is still standing as well. You need to get back into two of these houses, though. I, without, I think without it breaking would be, and entering. But. Yeah. Well, I don't mind breaking it. <laughs> so, it, after, well, it took start, them, Jack, after, <laughs> after it took them five years to sell that house, uh, my dad built our next house. And our next house was a concrete basement, full pit basement. Uh, multi-level because that was still popular at the time. Um, I think there were four different elevations in that house. Uh-huh. So literally, if you wanted to go to another room, it involved steps pretty much. <laughs> like you could use the living room and the bathroom on the main level without having steps. But if you wanted to go to the garage, it was steps. If you wanted to go to the deck, it was steps. Dining room, it was steps. Kitchen, it was steps. And then all the bedrooms were up two more flights. Like On universal design? Yeah, yeah. It was it was the opposite of universal design. But he wanted to be energy efficient. And so he did a double two by four wall. Oh, really? What year was, was this? Uh, this would have been 87. That's funny. 88. Uh, and the interesting thing that I remember, we lived in that house until I was probably 12, somewhere around there. And I remember helping hang pictures in that house. And it was a nightmare <laughs> because everything was two foot on center. Yeah. Uh, which at that time, if you did that in our market, it was because you were cheaping out. You were trying to cut money. You weren't trying to do a better house. Uh, you weren't trying for more insulation. But uh, the first wall that got framed, the exterior wall, mm-hmm. was regular, traditional, 2 by 4 frame, double top plate, all that. The inboard wall of the, that. 24 in center or 16? Yep. 24? 24. The inboard wall of that, everything ran horizontally on two-foot centers. So if you wanted to mount something to the wall and it needed framing. It had to hang at four foot or six foot off the ground. And that was it. But at least you could put it anywhere. You, wanted <laughs> you could put way. it anywhere on the wall you wanted, as long as it was six feet from the ground. And I remember there being pictures like in one long run in one of the, in the, like the, the formal, the fancy people. Uh, so did he do it with a space between the two? No. So he just used uh, gutter spikes oh, driven to- through two by fours. 
to hold that second layer on. And was the load bearing both of them or the outside? I think it was just the outside. Yeah. yeah. If yeah. I remember correctly, that there oh, was that would make sense. There, of course, there's no yeah. There's no verticals at all in that right. inner right. inner layer. Uh, but that house still stands as well. And uh, my dad still claims to this day that that was the lowest energy bills of any house that he had built. That that one was very modest and very well taken care of. Uh, and not to uh, crap on my dad, but I remember more than once that there was water in the basement <laughs> at that house. And so like these, these decisions that he made in the, in the process and these decisions that things that I grew up with seeing my dad make what I thought were mistakes or which were possibly mistakes, uh, guide some of the things that we think about today. Like, yeah. I, I don't think that I would build a found a basement an in-ground basement foundation without some really serious waterproofing. Like if I had a client say, yeah. Yeah, we don't want to spend that money down there. We'd rather have nicer countertops. I'd say, I'm not your builder. Like, yeah. I'm not going to be the one to make you a leaky basement. Sorry. So we said we were only going to talk about homes that Jake built. But I like this theme already. <laughs> my brother, uh, Izzy, one of my brothers that uh, was a builder, in 1984, we built a double wall house for him. So about the same area yeah. as your dad. And we did it with uh, uh double stud wall, but it was... Uh, three and a half inches gap between the outer and the inner wall. So he ran vertical fiberglass in the outside yeah, wall, oh. crisscross horizontally in the space between, and then vertical on the inside wall. So it was an 11 and a quarter, yeah. you know, three times 3.5 is what, 10 and a half inches, I guess, deep. Um, and interestingly, um, I've always given him a rationale grief because I said, you know, um, that's an awful deep air permeable wall assembly. And you probably have moisture problems on your outside, uh, you know, on your sheathing mm-hmm. because it's so cold. And he said, well, no, we had a vapor retarder. We used six mil poly. Mm-hmm. Well, probably a pretty good thing that we did use six mil poly because it's an air barrier, not a vapor retarder. Well, and he had in detail as an air barrier, but at least it was keeping wintertime moisture out of the wall, except where there was air leakage. But We've both blurred or tested at home, and I've also done pin extension moisture readings on the north wall. And it's kind of damp in the, in the end of March, but when I come back to the same pinholes and measure in September, it's bone dry. So it's getting wet. But it's drying. But it's drying. And that's out. the only thing that's important. Yeah. Yeah. So after that house, they bought the lot across the street, and he built the house across the street and put them both up for sale. And we moved to the new house because the older one sold quicker. <laughs> And that house was, again, a walkout, and it was like uh, the builder that's successful. It was, we have a 4,000-square-foot house with everybody. We have a playroom for the kids, and we have two dining rooms, and we have, you know, and it was a two-by-six wall energy hog that, uh, <laughs> it, it, I take that back, it wasn't a walkout. The back wall of the foundation was four feet tall, and the other walls were eight. So we had windows on the back wall, oh. the back face of the house. So it was kind of almost like a walkout, just not excavated that much. Uh, and when I talked to my dad about that house, he talks about it as being like, not the mistake, but the one that got the least amount of uh, consideration hmm. out of all the ones that he that he built for himself. Because it was like, we're making good money. We have a successful company. We should build our, our, our dream house. And our dream house had to do with square footage and not with energy goals. And all the other houses that he had built had these other goals huh. that guided where the house went, not necessarily 
how many Christmas trees my mother wanted to buy or how tall of a Christmas tree, my, you know, that sort of thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and I think that that there's nothing spectacular about the house. It was a well-built house. There was nothing wrong with it. I mean, it was very competitive with anything else in the market at the time. But I think that that conversation is like the, I feel like generations after generations go through that. Like we got the money now, let's get the house that we've always dreamed that we would have. And that dream that we've have is just about square footage. It's really interesting too how to, it shifted it as you built each house, mm-hmm. and this is through your filter. So there are things yeah. that you remember about the each of the projects. Yeah, and that house, I was old enough that I, I wasn't quite old enough to help for real, mm-hmm. uh, but I was there some, and that was the first job site that I got to spend a ton of time on, where uh, we. Uh, we had a huge pile of dirt from that basement in the front yard and I like dug holes in it that were big enough to climb in. And that like greatly influenced me wanting to be on job sites from there on. Even though two or three years later when I was working for him, I never, no longer wanted to like play in the dirt, like a little, you know, a little kid, you know, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. Uh, so then when I was 16, he put that house up for sale and we built one across the street and the, or we built one across the street and we put them both up for sale. Yep. And the one across the street was substantially smaller. So they were a single kid household at that point. Huh. Older sibling had moved out. And uh, we did a turn down slab with two by six walls and what we thought were good quality vinyl windows, which I think is now an oxymoron in my mind, like good, <laughs> good quality vinyl windows. Uh, but we, we had six mil poly on the inside. We had uh R48, I think, in the attic. Wow. And this is 97, somewhere in there, like very forward thinking. We should yeah. put more insulation up there. And was that fiberglass? Uh, I think it was blown in fiberglass at that time. Yeah. Yeah, if I remember correctly. Uh, and then uh, that turned down slab in an effort to try to not be cold, because that was the first slab house that we lived on lived in since I was little, uh, since the wood foundation house. We insulated the outside of the slab. So we dug down about 10 inches below grade or before we backfilled. Uh, we put in XPS on the outside of the foundation with big washers and the ramsack gun. And then we took uh, brake metal like we would bend for soffit work. And we bent a cover that went over that and just tucked it into the dirt and then pushed the dirt back up against the house. And the house had this white water table look where the, the, you know, the found, you couldn't see the foundation at all. It went so the down. Bent metal was white. Yeah. Uh, and it was a pretty house. Uh, I remember when they put them both up for sale and they decided to move to the little one cause the big one was selling again across the street, like literally <laughs> three houses that shared property lines is what I lived in growing <laughs> up. Uh, my dad, pulled his truck over there and tried to pull it into the garage and it wouldn't go into the garage because he'd done an arch on the top of the garage door and his <laughs> truck was too tall. So we had a 16 foot wide garage door and then an eight foot wide garage door next to it. And the eight foot wide garage door was squared off and the 16 <laughs> foot had an arch in it still. Cause the car, my mother's car would fit into that side. Uh, that was like my first memory of like, we moved into that house and the first thing he and I did was take it apart and fix something <laughs> on it. Uh, but the interesting thing about uh, the foundation detail on that one that I, I bet you remember that we've talked about before is when he went to sell that house a few years ago, and the house is 15 years old, 20 years old, they uh, 
the inspector said, I can't inspect the foundation. All that white stuff and whatever's behind it has to come off. Otherwise, I, can ju- I can't sign off on the foundation. And they were like, well, it's a half day to rip all that stuff off there. You know, walk around with a knife, cut that metal off, bend it, let it, and then throw all that stuff away. So they agreed to do it. They pulled it all off, and the XPS was full of holes big enough for mice to run through and mm. snake skins and bugs and all this stuff. And there had been uh, burrowing animals and insects and vermin of all sorts finding their way into that and deleting that insulation, basically. Now, Jake, I think what we can refer to is the effective R-value, because if the insulation, which has an R-value, is displaced by mammals, and they're homeostatic, which means they hold a steady temperature, there's the contributory R-value of the animals and their metabolic rate. Well, until we talk about uh, reptilian inhabitants, oh, inhabitants right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, they they definitely screw up your that R-value. that cold blooded snake doesn't help with your. <laughs> you didn't think I was going to have a smart ass response to that? I, did I you? knew you'd raise the raise the occasion. <laughs> but that house then dictates the fact that I'm adamant that I'm not putting insulation on the outside of the foundation. Yeah, there's like yeah. all these little bitty lessons, you know, from water management to you can get a wild hair up your but and decide to do a double stud wall, but you better think about why you're doing it. You know, Steve always says you got to ask the right question sort of stuff Uh, to, you know, we just built the house of our dreams and the house of our dreams was nothing but square footage requirements uh, or ceiling heights. I remember that was the first time that we'd lived in a house that didn't just have eight foot ceilings. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And then even trying to do things the right way, we definitely still screwed, screwed stuff up, you know, did your dad listen to the Unbuilt podcast? I don't think so. I'm going to hope he doesn't. <laughs> they were all well-built houses. Yeah, I'm filtering them through the, I look at, I look for the thing that I did wrong with my own business. So mm-hmm. that I, I look at the thing that other people do wrong. Uh, but it's, I, it was a, a learning experience that I didn't know was a learning experience at the time, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, and it was really interesting to, uh, figure out a bunch of stuff about building science and then go back and talk to my dad about him and have him go, wow, we just, we just didn't want to pay as much for energy. Well, you know, the, the mortgage on that house was 18%. So we knew that we didn't want to, you know, and it's just like, Oh, there's all these other choices that I don't see. And I don't, I don't understand because I didn't live through that part or I wasn't aware at that time. Yeah. You know? So, um, are we, are we, up to current speed now on all the homes in which Jeff uh, has yeah, lived? so that is all the the homes that my father built. I bought a '60s ranch after after college that had a pit basement, and the only really big thing that I learned from that one, besides the fact that uh, yet another basement was not dry, was I lived there when I bought my first blower door. Oh. And I blower door tested that house while my parents still lived in that ranch that we were just talking about with the turned down slab. And they were effectively both seven and a half ACH 50. So from 1965 to 1997, we hadn't gotten any better at air sealing. And and that was like an epiphany for me. And then I started playing with the vinyl windows in that old, in the, in the newer house and and those sorts of things. So I was just cross-referencing again. Uh, So you bought a blower door pretty early in your... Yeah, 2013, 2014, somewhere in there. Uh, And I realized that... uh, in remodeling that 60s ranch, the only walls in the house that had insulation in them 
also were wet walls or walls that were next to the bathroom or the kitchen. And they had R7 fiberglass in them. And I'd never even seen R7 fiberglass. And is that the really stuff you just look at it? Yeah. That is nasty. Like you could clap your hands on it and it would just turn to (laughs) dust and fly away sort of thing. Uh, Like paper that's been through a fire but didn't burn all the way up sort of stuff. And then we're, you know, uh, and then we, we talk about our Spring Valley Aero project that my wife and I built that's R40 walls, triple glazed windows from Europe, R80 attic insulation, and 0.43 ACH50. And I can now say that uh, very well air sealed, insulated, and high quality windows, a really good envelope, in other words, gives me a quiet house. I sleep better here. I don't hear the neighbor's dogs barking. Uh, and it's the most comfortable property that I've ever lived in. And I never understood that those other ones were uncomfortable mm. until I lived here. So when did you, when did you decide that you were going to take the business from your dad? Uh, so he kind of suckered me into coming back for one project. I was making a living as an artist and, uh, then he basically just said, Hey, uh, you know, that, that went really well. Uh, I'm going to sell the business to somebody that works for me. And I was like, Oh, I'm the only employee. Oh, <laughs> ah, okay. <laughs> and I thought like, ah, you know, I can put what I was doing on hold and see if I like this. Uh, and really immediately I was like, Oh, being my own boss mm-hmm. and getting to build stuff, which is an incredibly rewarding yeah. thing, uh, that, that, that be able to walk away from it every day and know and see what you created sort of thing. Uh, was immediately rewarding as rewarding as being an artist. And I was just like, okay, this is what I can do. And then it still took me years to figure out that I was worried about water or air or getting sued, you know, or doing things wrong. So it was a, it was kind of like a, I'm going to be done with the business, but I didn't know how to tell you this sort of thing. Sounds like your dad is a pretty smart guy. I think he, I think he doesn't let on as smart as what he is sometimes <laughs> even. I think he definitely played me played me on that one and I didn't see it coming at all. So But I thought that this was a good conversation to just be like, oh, look at all this little history of things that influence the way we build now and ideas that I have and that sort of stuff and like all those houses that I live in now or have lived in affect every conversation I have with Steve about what we're doing for clients. Yeah. You it's kind of cool too that you can look back because most of us can't look back through the homes that we live mm-hmm. because our dads didn't build them. Yeah. Yeah. So. Very cool. Well, you have just unbuilt all of the homes in which Jake has lived. <laughs> Again, it still doesn't sound any less pretentious when we just put that as the. <laughs> so thanks for watching on YouTube today. Thanks for listening on the podcast. If you're watching on YouTube, please don't forget to subscribe, hit the little uh, bell button. So you get notifications every time we publish. If you're on uh, the podcast, please go to iTunes, leave us a five-star review. Please, please, please tell us what you like and what you don't like. We're willing to uh, change things or explore content that you're interested in. We still are enjoying this greatly and uh, having a blast doing this. So we're, we're thankful for you guys and thankful for our sponsors. Uh, say goodbye, Pete. Bye, Pete. Thanks. <laughs>